Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Black Fashion History, the podcast that teaches you everything you need to know about the contributions of black people worldwide to the luxury fashion industry. It's Black History, but make it fashion. And of course, I'm your host, Taniqua Russ. This week, we're jumping right into part two of my conversation with Miss Corrine Simpson. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, Corrine Simpson is a photojournalist and jewelry designer, and I started chatting with her in episode 35 of the podcast. So pause this episode, go back to episode 35, refresh your memory, get into Miss Corrine's story, and then come back. Today, Ms. Corrine is going to talk about her signature collection, The Black Cameo, and the impact that it's had on the fashion industry. I had already been in Glamour magazine because they heard about her discovering me. And I had already done, I had already done, had, you know, different press and different stuff like that. And then I was, oh, and I used to always sell to the ladies at Essence magazine I would go to magazines and and go in the garment district and go to the offices. I found a new way to hustle. Go, you know, take my bag. Of course and, you did. Yeah, and go to the different, and I would say, can I come and show you, your, you the ladies in your office my jewelry? I was petrified every time I had to do any of that. But I was forced to do it, Taniqua, because I needed some money. I needed money to support my kids. And, you know, when you have children, you have to do, you know, you have to do what you have to do. And I knew I had this talent, and I knew if people saw my jewelry that they would buy it. And they did. I would, they would let me into the conference room. I would throw a cloth over there and set up as fast as my little fingers could set up the jewelry. And the women would come in during their lunch hour. Oh, I want this. How much is this? And I would have cash money, honey. I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore, but I did do that for several years. I would say I did that for about two or three years. So this is how I came into making the black cameo. This is how we're going to move on to how this happened. I went... Oh, okay. You Okay, go ahead. Before we get into the black cameo, I have one question. So I know now, like, if I were to go online to try to get... Uh, Corrine Simpson jewelry, you know, it's a, definitely a lot of money. How much did your jewelry go for when you were at that it? time? It was yeah. very, it was ridiculous. I would like it would go anywhere from twenty dollars because you know what I learned. I learned you always have to have budget items. I don't care how right. fabulous a designer you are. This is the main thing I learned as a designer, and I still have this ethic. I still have this. You have to have a budget item for people who, people want a piece of your talent. So I always start with a $20 item. I don't really have $20 items too much anymore. Oh, let's see, do I know? But I always had a $20 item. And I would sit down one day and just do $20 items, like a little $20 necklace. You know, something real quick that I could whip together. So, and, but fabulous, but it would be $20. And then I would go to 40, 60, and 80. So everything went from 20 to 80, never more than that at the time. And, you know, that is so true. People, sometimes people just want a piece of your work, like you said. I know nowadays people will buy, like, a designer wallet or keychain just to say that they have this exactly. thing. 
But I learned that okay. from being on the street selling and being and going into offices because some of these young ladies don't have a lot of money at the time, and I'm sure they don't even now. So all, any designer should have a budget item. I don't know what that budget item would be today, uh, but, you know, people can pull out a $20, though, a $20 bill, yeah. and, that, and if enough people buy $20 items, you got a couple of hundred dollars, you know. That worked for me, and I've always kept that as uh, uh, something in my head to always have from 20 to 80. But now, you know, now I have jewelry that sells for thousands, so it just depends. Yes. Because you have you have wealthy people out here, and, you know, uh, if you design something that they like, they'll, they'll buy it. So I always show them what I have for the upper money, for the high money, but most of the time they buy the, you know, the, the, you know, the $80 piece. Now we can get into the black cameos and how that came about. Okay. Well, on one of my treks to a magazine, I was in the conference room. There was a magazine, you know, Norman Lear, Norman Lear, the, the, uh, TV producer who did All in the Family and all of that. No, I'm not familiar with him, but I do know All in the Family. Well, he's a he's the brains behind All in the Family, moving on up, and all that. He's the he's the mm-hmm. a great television producer. He's a legend, Norman Lear. Well, his wife, when he divorced his one of his wives, he gave her millions of dollars, and she started a magazine called Lear's Magazine. And the editor in chief was a black woman, and. One day I was in her office, and she said to me, Corrine, you know, I see Chanel came out with a cameo, and I love Chanel, but I'm not wearing a cameo that represents white women because I'm not a white woman. She said, I I need a cameo of a black woman. So I said to myself, I said, well, let me see if I can find one. I don't make cameos. Let me see if I can find one for you because that's the last thing on my mind. I wasn't into any cameos. Well, I went into the Diamond District. I went all over. I could not find a cameo with a black woman on it. Do you hear me? I was like, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't find it anywhere. Could not find this. So I said to myself, let me talk to some older black women, like the, like really 70s, 80s, like I am today. <laughs> you know, like a mature black woman who's been around a while. So I talked to them, and they said, no, Corrine, they said, I don't have no black cameo, but if you find one, I want one too. So I said, okay. So I was going to put in, at this point, my career had been going very well as a designer. So I wanted to put something in production. Production means you mass produce a design. So I was going to do these earrings, a pair of earrings that had nothing to do with cameos. But one, but, but. My mind told me, maybe that's what you should put in production. Not earrings. You should put this cameo in production. But let me just tell you, when she told me she wanted a cameo, Taniqua, you know what happened to me? I was sitting in my apartment on Western Avenue, and I was wondering, what am I going to say to her? I can't find this cameo. Do you know I actually heard a voice that said to me a question. It said, why don't you do it? That's all it said. And I jumped off my bed. It was like somebody was in the room with me. That's never happened to me since. I heard a voice. 
Now, what do you think that is? I think that's that. Yup. It said, why don't you do it? And I jumped off the bed, and I said, that's what I'm going to do. But I keep asking to hear this voice, but I have not heard this voice (laughs) in all these years. But I heard it then, and uh, my girlfriend (laughs) uh, has an art gallery in Huff. Her father was a well to, well-known well jewelry designer, Wilmer Jennings. And I went to her and I said, uh, uh, could your father help me? You know, and I had to lecture in Rhode Island at, as a photographer. I was invited to a school in Rhode Island to lecture. And her father worked in uh, Rhode Island for a jewelry company. So I brought... I did the lecture, and then I brought my my portfolio of jewelry designs that had been in all these magazines, my one-of-a-kind pieces. And I sat down with her father, and her father introduced me to the president of the company. He brought me personally into the office of the president, and I told him what my idea was. Know what he told me? If you, this is what you need. Go get this done, because I didn't know what I needed to produce this. He said, this is what you need to do. And he said, if you make, if you bring me A, B, and C, I will produce it for you, and I won't ask for a big, uh, 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 what's the word for it, for a big production. You can order 100. I won't ask you to do 5,000. I'll work with you. See, when, when you have an idea, the Lord will make a way, honey. That's what I said. Yeah, he will. He will make a way. And then the next thing I did was come home and do what he told me that he needed to make this piece happen. I, I shipped it over to him, and I told him I can only afford 100 pieces. And that's how I, my career started, that he made 100 cameos for me. And when those cameos came out, I went to the Studio Museum in Harlem. And they, I gave them one and told them, would you sell this for me? And they, somehow women, they were women lined up around the museum to get this cameo. Oh, wow. It's, yes. And one thing I learned to do, I gave it to all my high-powered customers as a gift. So I said, please wear this cameo. Diane Carroll got one. Different, because oh, Diane Carroll lived on my block. She lived on my block on 89th. I lived on 89th and West End. She lived on Riverside Drive in West End. So I gave her one. I gave Josephine Premise, the, 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 I don't know if you know of her, but she did Brown Sugar and all these. She's a singer, dancer, everything, Haitian, uh, from Haiti. But she's American, of course. But she, she wore it. I gave it to all my customers who had supported me but especially high-powered black women because once they saw people would see it, I told them, tell them to call me so they could get a cameo. That's how I built my business. I gave 100 cameos away. Whoever's listening to this, they have the Corrine Simpson blueprint. There's a blueprint. Yes, they do. <laughs> okay. Okay, designers out there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. No, that's great. I know a lot of people are going to love that. I'm listening like, how can I apply these business practices to what I'm doing? Of course. So it's like you're not only, you know, 
like an innovative person when it comes to like design and just everything else that you've done and that you shared so far has just been about your innovation um, and your tenacity. You also are like a very astute business person. Uh, and I think all of that together made for, you know, only success. Well, you know, uh, people, you know how many people came up to me and said, oh, I had that idea. I had that idea. And, but they didn't act on that idea. No one, but did, you know, yeah, they didn't do it. But of course, I, I, let me just preface this to say, the black cameo is not the first cameo of a black woman. We've had, uh, in Europe, I, I, I went to the library and did research, and there were a lot of like cameos from Europe, the uh, cameo at Beale from London, and you know, in the 1800s. So I did my research, but I wanted to do a modern, cameo of a modern woman of color so i did my research i really did and um i've never said it's the first cameo of a black woman i just say it's the first modern contemporary cameo of women of color and you know women needed that at the time we needed that black women needed that we needed that we needed a seal of approval that we are proud of our culture we are proud of our of our people, we are proud of our women. We needed that at the time, and women, you know. But now, you know, there's a lot of other people making them. I call them my grandbabies. Those other cameos, because they were not around when I was doing it. So people have jumped on that bandwagon, and you know, some of them are very lovely, and I, I they're nice, and I'm not knocking them. I'm glad, but I call them my grandbabies because you people wasn't doing that before, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. So we have a choice. That's what I wanted for women of color, that we have a choice. We have we have options. Women need options. So what would you say happened to your career after the launch of Black Cameo? Well, what happens is it took off like wildfire, and it really took me away from my uh, my first, love of photography because I became a biz- an entrepreneur at that point. We moved the business from my apartment to West 37th Street off Fifth Avenue. I was one of the first, probably the first black designer on West 37th Street. I was right down the block from Kenneth J. Lane. You know who Kenneth J. Lane is. He designs for his jewelry, was worn by Jackie Kennedy, all the top socialites, yeah. everyone. And, uh, we, I, I, he, he was right on, I was on the same block as Kenneth J. Lane. I couldn't believe it. And when we moved into this space, I had a whole floor, Cameo Designs LTD, for West 37th Street. I had the whole entire floor. And when we, we got into this fabulous space, the people in the building across the street, cause I had ceiling to floor, uh, ceiling, floor to ceiling windows floor to ceiling windows in my office and all the people the white people on the block were staring into the space because a black company moved in and they were like who is this who is this woman and then Taniqua you know I had to deal with that it it was just they didn't bother me or anything like that but the landlord Mm -hmm. told me you know you're going to get a visit soon and I said, what are you talking about? I had to deal with, you know, the people that pick up your garbage. And we know 
you know, I had to deal with gangsters in the garment district. Mm. If you know what I mean. I do. <laughs> okay. So they was, he said, you're going to get a visit soon. <laughs> so I was ready for them. They came banging on my door with these big, these big gangsters knocking on my door. But I knew, I didn't know when they were coming, but they came. And they sat down with me in my conference room and said, you know, you're going to have to pay for cartage, garbage, you know, the cartage to take your garbage away. And we've analyzed your business. And I told them, you are part of the, you are family. And I have a family. I I spoke to them like that. And I said, you know, this is a big moment for me to be on 37th Street, but I don't have a lot of money. Can you please treat me, you know, (laughs) good and give me a good monthly amount of money because I thought they were going to tell me $500 a month to take away my garbage. And I said, how do you know how much garbage I have? They said, well, we know, we know, we've been watching, we know. And they were so good. They only charged me $50 a month to take my garbage away. And they were very, I was scared to death, though. I was scared to death to deal with, with these people. I was so frightened. I was so frightened until a couple of years later, another family tried to move in on me. And I had to call the original family and tell them, I'm, I'm in trouble. How many of y'all can I pay? And he said, thank you, Mrs. Simpson. Thank you, Ms. Simpson. We will take care of that for you. <laughs> anyway, that's what I, you, and you, when you're in the garment district, you have to deal with stuff like that. Yeah. But they were very, very lovely to me, so I don't have any problem, you know. <laughs> I, you know, but that's what I had to deal with. What would you say has been the most significant moment or moments of your career? Oh, uh, significant moment. Uh, well, I think when I moved my business out of my house to West 37th Street, that was a that was a uh, leap of faith, and I had to take several leaps leaps of faith in my life. And um, anytime I don't take a leap of faith, I regret it, you know. So uh, looking back on my life at this point, so I took a leap of faith and 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 got this loft space, and and it was so big that I was able. Actually, my jewelry business has always underwritten my work as a photographer because I was able to build a dark room in that space, and I had a studio in that space. So the jewelry always fueled the money for my photography. So even though maybe people didn't see me as a photographer, I was still working all along, taking photographs, working in the darkroom, photographing artists. You know, I was always still working. Even though they might not have seen what I was doing, I was still working. So that was significant in the jewelry uh, and the design as a designer. Now my in photography, uh well I, I was able to go to Europe, I was able to travel all around in Africa as a photographer, so I think that was significant. And I can remember when I went to Paris covering the fashion collections, uh nobody would let me near the runway. There were so many photographers there that wouldn't let me get close to the runway because at that time you were standing, uh, no, you were, it was so many photographers, they didn't put them in the back like they do today. 
they were around the runway, and I was always trying to get up to the runway, but no one would let me in to get, because first of all, there were hardly any women photographers at the collection. Very few. You could count on one hand. And so I was, I was, I always got a headache when I had to cover a show. I covered a lot of shows. Chanel, I, I covered, um, every top designer you could think of. Dior, um, Pauline Treasure, everybody. And I could never get close to the runway. And a significant moment was when the great photographer Bill Cunningham reached out his arm to get me from the third row deep of photographers and pulled me to the runway. Mm-hmm. That was did his you know way. Him? Yes, I did know him from New York. Okay. Yes, of course. And he loved black people, so he was always around <laughs> Audrey Schmaltz. You know, he was, because he knew black people would help him out when he needed something. And he was very, we loved Bill. So I knew Bill as a colleague, but no one else knew I knew him, you know, only, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so he, he, we were in Paris and he reached out his arm and pulled me to the runway. And after that, nobody effed with me after that. Because I was, that was a signal to them. Cause he was with the New York Times, honey. He was a top New York yes. Times photographer and he pulled me to the front to let everybody know that she is a great photographer and this is where she needs to be. Obviously, you've had a long, long career. So what are you doing next? Well, right now, I am working on a couple of shows. And after all these years, I have a gallery interested in my work. So I'm working on that. They're uh, they're giving me, under their umbrella, uh, a one-woman show that will be online. So I'm working on that right now. Oh, that's exciting. Yes, it's very exciting, and I'm trying not to be intimidated, but the gallery people are so sweet and so nice. I'm very, very, very busy right now, very busy, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting, but I'll be 79 next month, and I am and I have to preserve my legacy. I feel that I have a legacy that I need to preserve. That's it, guys. Thanks again for joining me for another episode of Black Fashion History. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Corrine Simpson. Isn't she just so interesting? She is an amazing storyteller. She has a great personality. She was so much fun to talk to. And I just love that I had the opportunity to be able to share just a tiny bit of her story with you all. If you enjoyed this episode and love learning more about black fashion history, visit our website at www.blackfashionhistory.com. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Black Fashion History Podcast. And share our podcast with a friend, y'all. It's Black History Month. It's time to support black businesses, black podcasts, black creators, black history, black people, black, blackity, black, black, black. So do your black duty this month and share our podcast with a friend and then another friend and then another friend. And I will see you guys in the next fashion history installment. Bye-bye.